0: Oh,
1: Christmas has come so early. Christmas has come early. Santa and his elves put some together just for us. I am so excited to open it. And um, there's actually
0: two gifts here for, for you. There's actually two one, gifts. One right for each of ministry. us, honestly. Oh, my God. Uh, I this mean, they need love. no introduction, um, but we're lucky enough to have them here because um, they are uh, touring the world, actually. The Jinx and yeah. De La Holiday Show. 26 cities in the us and uk and canada dave the new york times says the show is sure to lift your spirits and make you howl with laughter uh it's literally selling out already so at the time that you're listening to this run don't walk over to jinxandela.com um yeah you're probably too late and if you are i'm sorry um Anyway, Jinx Monsoon and Vendela Krem.
1: Welcome. Welcome. Hello.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. I really I gotta start out by asking which of us is a gift for whom? And this is a test. <laughs> that's so. a very good question.
1: Uh, you know what? I, I almost feel like that's a question to answer at the end. <laughs> fair <it>. <laughs> that's
3: fair enough, right? I like to you know ask. I, mean? I like to ask like sometimes um best friend duos come to see our show and they come to the meet and greet. And I like to ask who's the Jinx and who's the Dela. Usually it's pretty obvious. It's like whoever's yeah. wearing, you know, whoever's showing the most cleavage, generally the Jinx. <laughs>
0: sure, sure, sure. Wow. And what's the, and what's the, like the definitive characteristic of a Dela?
3: An apron. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that, right. Okay. So, to get straight into it i just had to take off my sweater to really get active on this (laughs) answer but um, and listen
1: there's no small amount of cleavage being shown (laughs) on ben de la crème right now this is a deep v
2: that's true this is a plunging v jinx and i oftentimes talk about the fact that i mean you're having the the peak behind the scenes at the the daytime jinx and DeLa, but (laughs) <laughs> Our onstage personas in some way are almost the opposite, especially in the context of this holiday show. You know, I mean, the Dela's persona is very much loves the holidays maniacally to the point of it being ludicrous, how unwilling she is to look at the difficult parts of it. Jinx being the cynical one who uh, would rather, you know, be boozing and, and, um, you know, loving up on the gentleman folks, <laughs> then, uh, you know, bothering with the, the Christmas season. And in reality, we're kind of almost the reverse. So when we say who's the jinx and Dela, I think we mean, who's the, the peppy optimistic one and who's the deep cynical mm-hmm. one. In reality, <laughs> we're probably both each, we're probably both, both of those things.
3: <laughs> yeah. We're both cynical, drunk, happy sluts
2: but the bottom line is hey. that I do have cleavage and that's that's what we're really getting at here. That's what it we're here going to talk about and dicole-tage.
1: explore. So what it, like what is your approach to the holidays? Are you are either of you holiday music people?
3: I wouldn't say holiday music, no. <laughs> like the songs that are written for the holidays are typically um, just insane, and uh, <laughs> and we do lots of commentary on that throughout the years. Um, but I, I what one of the things that's really, you know, both of us do parody work. We're drag queens. Parody work is abundant in our in our medium in our field. Um, but I really only do parody work for the holidays. And there's just something yeah. so satisfying about having the challenge of taking a song that people recognize, taking a theme that's universal and finding the funniest way to present those things together with through the lens of the holidays. It's like this amazing writing challenge that every year we bang our head against the wall and then something shakes loose and all of a sudden we have another (laughs) Christmas parody that's hilarious and brilliant if I do say so my own. (laughs) myself
2: you know and the whole thing is really about um trying to find a lens to make the holidays our own as queer people, as people who are not necessarily always feeling like the imagery and uh, propaganda around the holidays includes us. And so it's really about finding that. And that's true with the music too, right? It's about taking all of these sort of like traditions that don't necessarily resonate with us and figuring out how we can make them as queer and fun and inclusive as possible. And, uh, you know, yeah. that's kind of our mission statement.
3: You know,
1: the holidays are so <laughs> fraught, you know, it's such a time to like, you, you know, there is internal tension and it's so good to laugh or, you know, be emotionally like moved by a song that is super corny.
3: <laughs> um, it's well, just
1: it's a heavy time.
3: I was just thinking, um, listening to Dela, I was just thinking, it's kind of funny because the thing that I think our fan base, um, our fan base as individuals and our joint base, I think that every what everyone kind of came to us loving when we were both on Drag Race was our way of taking the challenges and really morphing them into something that showcases our strengths. No matter what the challenge was, we found a way to get into it, have a unique perspective And present it in a way that is, you know, like authentic to us. That's exactly what we do on the grandest scale with our holiday show. So if you watched us on television and you liked what you saw us do, come see us do it at its fullest capacity, live, where anything can happen. You know, it's, we both love being in film and TV, but it's, It's on stage where I think is our, that's our domain where we hold the most power.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you also both, I feel, specialize in your own ways at um, putting kind of a, like a delightfully deranged smile on dark subject matter. And (laughs) as you have referenced, like the holidays can be a dark time for many of us. Uh, I don't care for it, especially the town closing down for two weeks. I find something about businesses being closed to be very homophobic. Um, but what, can you give us a glimpse into each of your uh childhood holiday experiences?
2: Yeah, it really, you know, I mean, I sort of already mentioned the kind of swap we do on stage, but I mean, I really have in the past shared your you know, I mean, I hated the holidays growing up. I dreaded it every year. I did not enjoy the tradition, spending time with my family. It just seemed riddled with this sort of like falseness of this performative togetherness when we all actually are like just waiting to get out of the room. And uh, so the you know i started doing holiday content in one form or another like maybe 13 years ago and it really it was a way of kind of finding a new way to spin it but also i mean personally it was i needed an excuse not to go home anymore you know so this really did become exactly what it's about which is like how do we make this what we want it to be and uh, you know, and then the irony of that is that my character, theoretically, you know, her fi- her fictional past is exactly the reverse of mine. But it's a fun way to kind of do, like, almost sort of a, a scathing satire of people who like the holidays through this character. <laughs> <laughs> and Jinx kind of uh, had the reverse.
3: Well, you know, like, I grew up in a family that was very crazy, but very close. And we um, also, you know, didn't have... Uh, shit, a shit ton of financial means. But like even my mom who was a single mother like busted her ass every year to give like the best possible Christmas to me and my siblings. And it was always kind of when my mom like rose to the occasion was Christmas. Aside from one year that I talk, uh, I, I used to talk about on stage when I um, realized Santa Claus wasn't real. Cause I walked in on my mom drunkenly trying to assemble a bike through through tears you know so but um one thing that i really love um and still being very close with my blood family we've talked about is that my grandma who created the christmases that were like the ideal christmases that i look back on like um when I realize I, I I look back on these like wonderful Christmas memories, that was largely my mom and my, my grandma and my aunt busting their asses to make everyone happy at the holidays. And my grandma's house was where everyone who didn't have their own family to go home to came to my grandma's house on Christmas Eve. And that's the same mission statement we have in our show. And it's so funny because even though I love spending the holidays with my blood family, they're so supportive of me kind of taking the same spirit that my grandma had around the holidays of welcoming everyone who didn't have somewhere else to be into her house. We're kind of doing that with our show on the world, uh, uh, like on the road in (laughs) in the wider world now. So my family has accepted that like they lose me at the holidays, but we save like fucking 30 tickets for them every year in Portland because they all have to come. Every extended member of the family, everyone. Oh, my gosh. My mom's dentist wanted to come one year. It's the whole thing.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. There's so much great live queer holiday content you know, I mean, like TV, you got your, you know, whatever. It's a Kelsey Ballerina Christmas or whatever. Whatever will be on ABC this year. But like, you know, we, we get you guys and Kiki and Herb and Dina Martina and all of these like incredible show, like live shows. What yeah. uh, like what? How do how do you explain it? I mean, I think or it's can the same you? thing. Or do we- you?
2: I think it's, I think it's the same thing we've been talking about. I think, you know, it's part of why our audiences get excited about what we do is that it's, I think, pretty universal and a lot of amazing queer entertainers have found a way to channel that exact same set of thoughts or feelings, you know, I mean, Dina Martina uh, her holiday show has been just one of my favorite traditions over the years, and I, um, you know, I mean, one of the saddest things about, you know, when your tour gets really big, it's like amazing and wonderful, and also like you don't get to see those shows anywhere, but, um, but right. you know, I mean, to me, going to Dina's shows on Christmas Eve was was exactly that thing it created that sense of sort of irreverent this is ours this is how we celebrate as a community the people in this room i know i have something in common with a that we're not with whoever raised us and b that we are taking a lot of joy out of you know from a light-hearted joyous taking the piss out of a lot of these traditions and of course you know I mean we haven't even touched on the religious aspect of all of this and how that affects <laughs> us as a queer community and you know Dina's irreverence around that is you know I think we strive for that same sense of um uh, of of sort of sending it up in a way that kind of can loosen all of us up around it. I mean, I think we're mindful of the fact that there are Christians in the queer community who are attending our show and we are not trying to, you know, tell them that their belief system is wrong, but we are we are lampooning uh, you know, the the larger way that this these institutions have affected our community and um and i don't know well, it's let's I, face it. I think you
3: can't of course that. Down, you can't take down the patriarchy without also taking down the church i That's for sure. you know like we have a very clear mission to take down the patriarchy and the two are intertwined so uh, <laughs> but i you know like li- one thing that i really love is like the diversity in our audience you know like we we have straight people who have idyllic beautiful christmas experiences to go home to and they just want to go see a drag show then we have our island of misfit toys we've been talking about um but i think what makes me the happiest is um the that like Dale was talking about the queer christian people who come and can see the message that we're trying to say that there's you know like we don't hate jesus but we hate we don't the even know the guy we don't i never <laughs> met him but you know like we hate living under the impre- the oppressive institution of jesus you know and i i love that drag is this way to have this conversation that feels accessible and non-threatening, you know, so that we can have these kind of conversations either as a community, um, just amongst queer people or as a community at large. And I see those conversations start sometimes at our shows. You know, like I see people at the meet and greets tell us like, I had never thought what did mary think about being made pregnant by god you know (laughs) why hadn't we ever asked mary her opinion on the whole thing you know
1: (laughs) is there is there any um you know christmas carol or special or (laughs) tradition that you cannot resist
2: ewe's playhouse christmas special is one of the best things that have ever been made in the history of christmas content Um, And uh, I, uh, and also uh, Gremlins is one of the, those are the Gremlins and Pee Wee's Christmas are my two favorite Christmas movies. And I'll
3: I'll add them up at Christmas Carol. Sure, (laughs) sure. Uh,
0: You know, there are so many Queens out there who would who would love, who might kill to work with either of you in a show like this. but this is I think your fourth time doing a, a live holiday show tour together. So can you just tell us a little of your, your friendship origin story? What, what is it about you two and your specific chemistry that made you each other's you know better half for this project? <laughs>
3: I think a big part of it, I mean, drag is so informed, like every art form, it's informed by the, you know, the community and the locale in which it's being formed. And both of us started drag in different cities. But when we moved to Seattle and started doing drag here is where we really found our stride and really kind of like shaped our voices artists and as, as drag entertainers. So we had that kind of like shared love of what we were getting in Seattle as as performers. But also, we had just been mentioned to each other multiple times. So we were already aware of each other. And I, this is something I've been thinking I mean, a lot this about. This is lately. way pre
2: drag race. Like this <laughs> yeah, is like this is 13 14
3: years, ago. years ago. Yeah. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about this in my life uh, lately that like strong relationships are very much a choice, you know, they don't happen on their own, they take a lot of hard work like you know my marriage to my husband we choose to put in the effort you know at a very very early stage at like our first interaction um dale and i were already aware of each other drag is very competitive um we met each other and from like day one we both made the choice to be friends rather than rivals we just (laughs) because it was one or the other you could have gotten the first time (laughs)
2: I mean, I saw Jinx perform for the first time. She was like right out of college. She was performing in the middle. I love this story. It was like the middle of the afternoon in a Starbucks for free and it was it was the weirdest thing and i like heard about this on facebook and i was like all right she's been mentioned i'm gonna go check her out and i was just blown away it was one of the best shows i've ever seen with like coffee beans grinding in the background and light streaming through the windows it was still just one of the most impressive performances and i turned to my friend that i was with and i was like i have to start working with her because if we don't start working together then we will be enemies and that was just (laughs) that was that that
0: What's the first thing you every together? great friendship is just like a little bit of seething hatred boiling beneath the
2: surface of <laughs> all the love, you know? Well, you know, and it's, it's, like it's funny because there was a lot of, you know, I'd say friendly competition for a while uh, toward the beginning but it's like the more that we've lifted each other up, gotten to know each other more deeply, I mean, there's no deeper way to know each other than creating work together. You see all the nitty gritty, but um, you know, it's like I think we've both reached a point where we just um, experience joy for the other person. You know what I mean? Like it used to be a little bit more like, oh, I want a little more of that or whatever. And now it's really become a thing where I think we are mutually so happy for our friend whenever either of us experiences success. And it's like a really beautiful, tender place to be in a friendship. I have not experienced that with, with many people.
1: It's beautiful. It is. The (laughs) end.
0: When Dave was asking about, you know, uh, songs, uh, traditions, Christmas, things that you couldn't resist, I noticed neither of you mentioned um, Judy Garland's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. (laughs) And um, Jinx, this will shock you, but I am a gay man who loves Judy Garland. Um, (laughs) And I I mean, your Judy and Snatch Game, like, I, I know there's kind of nothing left to be said that hasn't already been said about it but um i guess since so many of us have these like deep spiritual connections to her how how deep is yours
3: you know um i i'm a late in life judy garland gay <laughs> like i had to be turned on to her in my adulthood you know because as a kid i um really only had i i only knew wizard of oz but my husband's such a big judy garland fan that in the last three years i've um definitely like on full steam but as a singer i've always been obsessed with her she has just one of the most amazing singing voices and um I would say that the way that Dayla and I connect to Judy Garland when it comes to her Christmas special, it's more about the tap dancing Santa Clauses than <laughs> that, that fucking, fucking
2: Santa Claus all rush in. That is one of the best. It's so bizarre. I actually feel like that movie is very much like where the Pee Wee's Christmas special is like stems from. It's like the, yeah. an early phase of that because it is so earnest yet deranged simultaneously it's amazing I think,
3: yeah. I think that judy garland christmas special is the rosetta stone of all future christmas specials you know because <laughs> yeah. if you think of how it probably inspired peewee and then peewee inspired us you know you can track it back to like that's the latin root <laughs> we're basically judy
0: garland <laughs> yeah are you doing basically. judy in the christmas show
3: um, not as of yet, but you know, the the Christmas show isn't Perhaps. done being created Aye. until the final stop of the tour. So. All right,
2: I'm throwing out the script. It's now just a Judy impression. Ninety minutes. <laughs> just ago. a
1: full Judy. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um. So okay. Uh, outside of Christmas, in, in the last you know in the last year or so, what what have your what have you guys been watching? What are your like? <laughs> Your binges, your obsessions in the world of TV or movies.
3: I well, will. Uh, I mean, I've I've watched a. Sorry, I didn't mean to just completely interrupt you. But I have to confess that I I binge watched an entire show last night, and oh. I can't believe it <laughs> because I was you up see, till 5 supposed a. to be I'm working on it.
2: Christmas.
3: <laughs> um, I binge watched the entire um, The Watcher on Netflix, oh, and okay. um, Thoughts? I thought the first half of the of 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 the entire series was amazing. And then the second half, I just had to see the end. So I sat through like four episodes, just wanting to see the end. When I probably could have just skipped ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah because well this is not a spoiler i haven't even watched the show but i just know from knowing the the real story that the the watcher is is never is not found but it's there is there a...
3: ending yeah. i i went into it completely naive i went into it not knowing anything about the real story but listen um like uh jennifer coolidge i'll watch her do Fucking anything. Of course. Um, Naomi Watts is great in it. It's I, I think it's a great story. Um, uh, Dale and I both uh, loved the Chucky series. Can't hey, wait a next second! I
2: I've, I've got to launch into this Chucky series thing, man, because that's the <laughs> I listen. I have loved. There's been a lot of great shows that I have that I've watched and binge this year, but the Chucky series. Speaks to me on such a deep level. The first horror movie that ever made me not be able to sleep at night was Child's Play. And then watching like those original movies had such a specific role in my life where I couldn't be near them. And then when Bride of Chucky came on, came out and Don Mancini just kind of took the whole franchise and was like listen straight people this is not for you and I'm not (laughs) pretending anymore and then like every film after that just like the queerness and camp and humor got so big with still you know everything you need as a horror lover which is I am a horror lover um and now this series is like tying together every film and it is so it's like if we like Seed of Chucky with their non-binary child, I was like, how do you up the ante on queerness after that? But like all the characters are queer. Jennifer Tilly is in like full on drag queen mode. Like she wasn't always, but even more so. (laughs) And it's just so joyous and ridiculous and has so many wonderful little Easter eggs for fans of the franchise. And I just, I'm in love with it and this is my official announcement, my official plea to Don Mancini, please season three, cast me. I want to be murdered by a doll.
1: We need it. Oh, it's it's out there. It's out in the universe now. (laughs) It's going to happen. Beautiful. Dela, you're
0: you're the producer and director of the the holiday tours and the Hulu special. So, you know, you are kind of Jinx's boss. Um, can you give us just a, a moose bouche of, like, what is your management style?
2: Uh, well, Jinx always describes our writing process as uh, being very similar to Misery, in which I just sort of stand over her with a sledgehammer, um, which is not wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a very, like, type A, uh, you know, I'm well-suited to the producer-director role because I... I'm very meticulous about things, Uh, but it's, you know, I would say that I tend to come in with a pretty sort of sprawling general idea of what I know everything should be and then really love to tease out what it is that we create well together i mean i think my favorite thing as a director is finding is not coming in and like bulldozing a situation but saying what's here and how do we tease it out to its full potential and the thing that's most like itself and when jinx and i create work together as writers we make something that is totally a new entity that is that has elements of what we make in our solo work, but really is so unique in what we do. And so I love the opportunity to just take that and figure out how we can like implement it all at its height. But the, the actual meat of what this thing is, is such a mutual uh, exchange and a real uh, love child with both our DNA firmly rooted in
3: it. I'm just making that as words.
2: Mutual as masturbation. Whoa. Yeah, right. Um
0: Dela as the Kathy Bates to your James Conn. Or well, is it the other way around? No, yeah that, that's right, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. The, yeah. she's Day-la, definitely
3: the right. Kathy Bates. Um <laughs> she, You know, I we made the decision a long time ago. Like uh, we talked about co producing this endeavor the very first year we ever did it and i made the decision a long time ago to to not be co-producer but you know like we co-create we co-star we co-write we do everything together and then at the end of the day i get to like hand everything over to dale and be like thanks daddy make this happen um (laughs) so it's actually a huge Privilege to like to have a collaborator who's willing to share so much of the creative joy of the process and then take on so much of the the business aspect of it but for both of us we are very self-aware of our strengths and each other's strengths so i wouldn't say You know, like I think DeLa definitely um, does more of the business work and more of the production uh, production aspects that makes the show happen. And then we get on stage and we both work our asses off. Um, (laughs) We both get, no matter what the show is every year, we come off stage, we're exhausted, we're drippy and we're very content because the great thing about doing it all in house is the sense of accomplishment at, at at the end of every night because yeah. we do everything from the ground up and this show that you're seeing it's not only for queer people by queer people but it is like a living example of like the the ideal <laughs> artistic community coming together to create uh a a piece of work to to share and Um, what i love is how how much work goes into this and how much thought and heart and and effort goes into this and i talk about it in these interviews and it sounds like we're fucking putting on hamlet or something and then you come see the show and it's like dick jokes about santa claus but Somehow we've managed to take dick jokes about Santa Claus and create something really um, special that really resonates with our community and makes me feel like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do.
1: <laughs> I
3: love it. Is there,
1: do you, is there something from your youth that you remember watching that you were like, that's, that's where I go in the world?
2: Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, we have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of similar sort of early influences that sort of marinate in you as a young person, you know, uh, I mean, everything from Ann Miller to to Elvira in terms of that sort of thing. But uh, when I really, when it crystallized for me, I'd already been doing drag sort of in my teen years, you know, to the extent that one can in a small town in Connecticut. Um, but when I was 18, I was living in Boston, and I first saw Varla uh, Jean Merman perform, oh, wow. and it exploded my mind in terms of what drag could do on stage, and that there really were absolutely no limits with what it is that, uh, that this genre can explore, and, you know, how many walls it can break down. And, and for me, that definitely clicked into place, like, okay, I know the direction that I want to take this in.
3: I just ever since I was a kid uh, and part of this is wrapped up in, you know, like my gender identity and stuff I've discovered about myself as an adult. And part of it's just like um, me as a human being and what I like to do in life. But ever since I was a kid, I saw Meryl Streep and Madeline Kahn and Carol Burnett and um, Lucille Ball like uh I just knew I wanted to do exactly what they were doing and I used to be so upset because I was born a boy I was perceived a boy and I was like I'm never gonna get to be what I know I'm meant to be in life and then I went and saw a drag show when I was 13 and the drag queen Abby was singing um I don't uh she was lip singing to I think maybe like Finally, it's happened to me. And she pointed right at me in the audience. And like two weeks later, I was a drag queen. And, you know, I've been doing drag pretty much every weekend of my life for the last 20 years. And drag helped me, one, like um, do what I know what I was always meant to do. But also it helped me become the person I always knew I was supposed to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you both did drag in your teenage years. Were were there like performance opportunities for you or what what was that experience like? Well,
3: we had pretty different... Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. go for
2: it. No, no, no. go for it, Jinx.
3: Well, in Portland, it was... uh, Portland's just its own very unique, special place, Portland, Oregon. And at the time that I came out and started doing drag, Um and then there was um Smirk, the Sexual Minority Youth Resource Center, which was oh no, has my am I did I pause or you're something? back, you did, but you're back. You froze, but you're back. Um there were two places that I performed in Portland as a 15 year old drag queen. The first was called The Escape, and it was an all ages queer dance club. Um, and it's gone th- through different ownership and different names many many times since the 80s but it's been the same club the whole time it doesn't exist anymore but like my mom used to go to the city nightclub which by the time i was a teenager was the escape and it was always an all ages gay dance club um so it has this legend in portland so i performed there and then i also had the sexual minority youth resource center otherwise known as smirk which was a um queer youth rec center uh, and, and resource facility. And we used to do open mic nights and drag shows. And so I came out at like 13, was doing drag by 15, was working in bars lying about my age by 16. I had lots of opportunities in Portland. <laughs>
1: wow. Connecticut, I'm going to
3: imagine, um, and my experience uh, similar.
2: No, my experience was was pretty much the reverse. I grew up in a um, pretty small conservative town in Connecticut. and uh, I knew from a very young age before I knew what drag was, I knew you know this about myself, you know, I would always sort of, you know, bath towels as dresses and wigs was very much my sort of uh, go to as a as a young kid. And then uh, I also came out at 13 and uh, was uh, not embraced in that community. And uh, but I had this love of, you know, the feminine and these trappings. And I would um, I mean, listen, don't steal kids, but I would go and I would like shoplift like dresses and makeup and I would go home and I would do a full face of makeup in the bathroom, wash it off and leave the bathroom. And so it was like that was very much uh you know, it was it was something I was practicing in private, but it was um very you know, I mean it just really speaks to what a piece of of me this is, you know. And um and then I started, you know, as soon as I was had sort of given up on the idea of being accepted in my community, you know, probably at like 15, I started doing Halloween and drag, which didn't go over great, but it was, you know, an excuse. Um, and so that that was really, that was it for me until I was able to uh, strike out on my own, as I said, uh, in Boston when I was uh, right after high school. And that's uh, when I really discovered that You know, I discovered drag and it wasn't so much, oh, I want to be a drag queen. It was more, oh, there's a container for this thing that is deep inside me. There is, like, (laughs) there is some place to put this. And that was pretty magical.
1: God, that's got to be huge at age 18. After
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's, you know, I mean, Jinx and I talk about this all the time because drag is, like, this sort of weird thing that falls somewhere between an artistic practice and an identity. And it's, like, really wrapped up in who you are in a really big way and so it was it was pretty amazing to find to find that because it's because it's a community and it's an outlet and it's all of these things kind of simultaneously and my life really started to click into place
0: Taylor, you've been open in the past about um struggles with mental health and Jinx, you've been open about being mentally perfect. Um, so I'd love to hear from both of you, like where you see yourself on that journey right now and, you know, sort of what have your, your tools have been for you, whether you're like a therapy person or a meditation crystals, crystal, uh, what have you, uh, Jinx, how about you?
3: I, um, I've been, my slogan lately is witchcraft and therapy Um, (laughs) because I am a huge advocate for therapy. I, it took me too long to get into therapy is what I'll say is that um, I, I dealt with too much of the stigma and too much of like with the mentality that my family raised me with that I I should have been in therapy years sooner than I was, but um, better late than never. And, um, you know, in the last, like, five years since I started therapy, um, I'm now, like, three and a half years sober from alcohol. I'm very open about, you know, my my, uh, experiences with uh, depression, anxiety, and OCD. And... um, and alcohol abuse you know i'm a, I'm a very open book about all of those things um but yeah witchcrafted therapy i i see my therapist and then i consult my um grimoire and anywhere that i feel like uh i i need like a a spell to kind of pick up where therapy left off that's that's what I do and then um then I like to say the spells taking care of my problems and I don't have to sit there um worrying about it anymore.
0: <laughs> what was the word that you said that you turned to?
3: Say it again, the the grimoire grimoire. <laughs> yeah. A grimoire is like a collection of spells. It's like a personalized, um, it's, a, so like each witch would have a grimoire. Like, so if you take a spell from a spell book that you really, really like and put it in your own personal collection, that's your grimoire.
0: So you you create your own grimoire. It's not, you can't, you can't go buy a grimoire. You can buy someone invitation. else's
3: grimoire. Yeah. You could buy, you could buy a, you could buy a, someone else's grimoire but it's like a grimoire is like a curated spell journal
2: like you can get your hands on someone else's spotify playlist but it's not the same right yeah right yeah you didn't create it uh
0: i'm where would you guys send send a, a, a young listener who'd like to start dabbling in witchcraft
3: um the book waking the witch by pam grossman who's uh She's um, just one of the most delightful people in the world. And she talks all about like modern day witchcraft um, as a philosophy, a lifestyle and a practice. Um, It's very much, you know, like uh, what I really like about practicing witchcraft is it not only helps me kind of like spiritually, emotionally and mentally, but I also just love the you know i love the story of how the label of witch was put i mean i don't love the story i don't love that <laughs> you know <laughs> the, the patriarchy has demonized women and queer people for centuries by labeling them as witches i don't love that but i love reclaiming it and i love the sense of empowerment that um, i'm seeing in the community and uh either the women in the community or the allies to women in the community when i've been talking openly about practicing witchcraft and labeling myself as a witch i've seen that that's kind of like you know there's a lot of people finding empowerment and reclaiming um that that word and that practice
0: <laughs> wow and DeLa, what how about you do you
2: have your own grimoire <laughs> you know, I do not have a grimoire. I uh, yeah witch, witchcraft is something that's been really amazing to watch Jinx's uh, experience and journey with and we've done some spells together on the road. Uh, but it's not it's not been part of my personal journey and practice. Um, you know I uh, you know as you mentioned, I've tried to talk a lot about my experience with uh, depression which started when I was very young and I was put in a therapy at um at 13 uh to deal with what was pretty crippling you know and it was um uh i really had a lot of just the crying can't stop and i can't get out of bed style like deep depression and that was you know and i think also right everything that we experience is heightened at that age of adolescence so a lot of people sort of chalk it up to like okay this is adolescence right and then um and then as I got older, uh, so I got into therapy from a young age. And I really saw the value in it, um, and it was one of the one sort of safe places for me in a world in which I did not feel safe. Right. And then the the next thing that became a safe place for me is is drag and an artistic process. And I do, uh, you know, attribute a lot. I mean, a lot of my work, even what we've been talking about with what we do with the holiday show, is about processing trauma, it's about processing grief and difficult things and turning them into something joyous and beautiful, which I think is what the practice of drag is about. It's about, you know, I mean, the tradition is coming from, uh, you know, a community that was really relegated to the shadows, the fringes, even within the queer community. Drag queens were uh, celebrated on stage and sort of reviled off of stage. And it's, you know, I mean, you look at uh, ball culture, Paris is burning, and you see that this is, you know, people are taking the most difficult aspects of their lives and weaving it into something beautiful and joyous and I, so I think that, you know, drag has become a practice for me reframing my own depression and it is, you know, people also talk to me about, you know, sort of how, like, how did you move past your depression? It's like, you don't ever do that, you navigate it. And in my adult life, I was eventually um, diagnosed with cyclothymia and then bipolar and that, uh having that diagnosis uh i mean getting you know being on medications that help me for that is great but it's also like to understand like oh i am not like my brain actually functions in a very specific way that i need to embrace and navigate and so i really it was scary i sort of fought off a lot of that and put off being you know receiving those diagnoses and getting on medications but I really encourage people to, um, you know, figure out how to shake some of that off because it really uh, was life-changing to be able to have context for why the world felt a certain way to me. Um, And I also think being vocal about it is so important, right? Like it was, I mean, I remember um, it was uh, 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 Chris Cornell from Soundgarden did an interview where he talked about being so depressed that he didn't feel like he could function. He didn't feel like he could get out of bed. And this is like a huge successful artist making incredible work. And I was like, okay, if he can feel like this and just do it anyway, I can feel like that and just do it anyway. And I think the more we say that to each other, the more that we can experience that in a larger scale. Yeah.
0: Chris Cornell last person I would think would be uh, cited as an inspiration by any of us in this conversation. <laughs> but, um, that's amazing. And, and it's hard to I mean when you say that you know you started therapy at 13 and that that's when these issues started started to surface it, the mind immediately goes to oh 13s also when you were locking yourself in the bathroom to do a face of makeup and then wash it off and obviously the it's also the, when the my mental mom health died issue. it was a
2: real triple ram wham oh, oh
1: yeah
0: okay. <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah. it, yes you were dealing with a lot and, and at the same time the 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 mental health issues you're talking about are obviously very complicated and they're they are a matter of brain chemistry and they're medical and everything but how do you square that
2: um square the the fact that or the idea that these things are sort of medically founded in something and also that these life experiences are happening yeah it's it's chemicals and Connecticut yeah you know yes exactly yeah Yeah. Um, you know yeah I I think it's um, I don't uh, as I I I don't work too hard to deconstruct what has worked for me in terms of navigating my life, you know? Like I haven't um I I think there's aspects of uh spirituality uh um things like that that really help people that to go in and try to logic them to death is just going to take Mm -hmm. away a support system right so uh so there's an element of that uh and over but also over the years uh you know I have really discovered that I have sort of a baseline that is chemical where I am more strongly affected emotionally by things that sounds a little grand and self-indulgent but i have watched other people hit highs and lows that are just not as don't impact them in the same way like their lows don't debilitate them and so i'm like okay these are how my lows manifest and then like yes life events set those off and so there is so that's the interplay is that um I have a more difficult time navigating the things that life throws at people and that came up for me very early because of a lot of things you know I mean this issue surfaced quickly because of a lot of circumstantial stuff but um you know that's that's the that's what I continue to navigate is to uh have to remind myself that when a sort of simple difficult life event happens that is fully navigatable that when my brain is telling me i am actually going to die from this it is not true you know it's like a lot of just saying like you know thoughts are not objective truths they're just chemicals bouncing around in there sometimes and they don't mean anything about what is going to happen to you next you just you know ride the wave. I I know we've kept you over time,
0: before we let you go, uh, Jinx, you mentioned your husband, I know you got married in uh, 2021, I believe. Can you just give us a snippet of that love story, how how you met your man?
3: (gasps) Oh, well. I I met him in Manchester. I was on tour. Um, We actually kind of love this story, even though it's uh, it's just so typical of like um, queer relationships these days. But basically, I had a date with another person and had already put in the effort of making myself look real nice that night. And then that person ghosted. So I took to Grindr and I met my husband. Um, But uh, But you know, um, we really strayed from Grinder's intended purposes because he stayed in my hotel room for like 24 hours, playing songs on my ukulele, and we just laid around getting to know each other. And then for the next two weeks, we'd meet up where we could while I was on tour. And then we decided we made the choice to um, to give the relationship a shot, even though long distance is difficult. But you know, when you're someone who lives your life on the road, every relationship's long distance. You just kind of eventually give up on the idea of living in one place and having normal relationships with those people there. (laughs) So after, you know, we've been together like um, almost four years now and it's always been long distance like even right now he's at home in portland and i'm here in seattle Uh, (laughs) and he's british so we've had to deal with immigration the whole time and figuring all of that out but um it's really nice i i put out into the world the kind of person i am and i put out into the world the kind of person i'm looking for and i've just been very honest about that for a while and and now it's it, it all manifested itself and um my husband's a, a wonderful loving talented brilliant patient hung british man <laughs>
0: hell yeah, <laughs> the same
1: package, yeah. <laughs>
0: and dela you've been with your partner for several years right Seven, yeah, and we actually we
2: met on Scruff. So hey, the apps are, it's it's possible they're working. (laughs) Happening on the apps, yeah. Uh, What did you do your first date? Yeah, what's
1: that? What did you do on your first date?
2: Well, so uh, Gus and I uh, we met. We I mean we met. I don't know what you call that. We interacted on Scruff, and I was on the road at the time. And so we didn't get to meet up for, I mean, I think it was like a month and a half or two months that we were just texting and making each other laugh and, you know, and realizing that we'd actually lived a couple blocks away from each other for many years (laughs) and had a lot of the same friends and had been at the same parties, you know, so. uh, But um, our first date uh, was we. Um, met in a park. So I had also been, you know, going on some dates. And this was after my first day on Drag Race. And I very quickly realized that uh, at the time, it's a little difficult because you can go on a date and realize that it is actually just somebody who is really into Drag Race and wants to have a meet and greet with you. And so, (laughs) um, so one of the big things about Gus was that he'd never seen Drag Race. So I loved that. But we, I had also learned my lesson about getting trapped at a meal Uh, from that so we met in a park uh, and got ice cream and hung out in a park in the middle of the afternoon so that I like you know there would we could bail at any moment and then we just wound up you know it turned into dinner and then it turned into drinks and it turned into oh I can spend all day with this person and that was that was the beginning of that
1: (laughs) beautiful and here we
2: are
3: And, you know, I forgot that detail, but both of our partners had never watched Drag Race when they met us. Very important. My husband got into Drag Race because of me. And he knew, uh, he knew like, he knew the gist of everything. But I think it was really important to meet someone who was meeting me without any preconceived notions of who I was based on having watched me on a television show from 10 years ago.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Gus actually thought all drag queens were misogynist. He actively did not like drag. And then he came and saw one of my shows I was doing at the time, which was a 4th of July show that was, you know, it's lots of, like, star-spangled kicklines and stuff, but then it's, like, conversations with bald-eagle puppets about slavery and genocide. And he was like, oh, okay, there's a lot of other ways that this can manifest. And that was uh, that was an early litmus test. I needed him to enjoy that before he could move forward. Oh, it's beautiful.
0: It's interesting for, 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 you know, queens who have been on Drag Race, being a Drag Race fan can sometimes be a deal-breaker. And for fans of Drag Race, someone who has never watched drag race is also a deal breaker and you know sort of the opposite <laughs> it, cuz for us it's the you know key to a happy marriage um the queens of christmas thank you so much for being here and for being all that you are uh, uh we adore you and just so so grateful to have you and everybody needs to go to jinxanddela.com immediately to get your tickets to the holiday Don't show sleep or on
1: else they'll be all gone and i know it's right from here to like an all that jazz style like choreography rehearsal in a studio with leg warmers and capizios and stuff so thank you for taking the time
2: you actually can't we're, we're zooming so you can't see that from the waist down we are actually currently in capizios and leg warmers so we're awesome awesome it was such a pleasure talking to you guys i was trying not to to nerd out but i'm really i'm a i'm a big fan and admirer so this was really fun thank you you so much
1: and likewise